Well, we're going to jump right in. And uh, let me just say, for those that many watch this afterwards, um, they watch it recorded, whether it be on YouTube or even on Right Now Media later on. Um, and so today, the day that I'm recording this, uh, and those of you that are on live, is June 19th. And June 19th is a holiday that many of us don't understand or don't know called Juneteenth. And Juneteenth celebrates um, the day that the slaves in Texas finally heard that they were free. It's Freedom Day. It's Emancipation Day. It's an important day in many in the black culture, but yet it's been ignored and we don't really know anything about it. And how fitting today we are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 through 9. And so before we jump into that, let me just pray. Because today, you know, it's funny how we can talk about divorce, we can talk about um, even abuse in children, and we don't get as riled up sometimes as we do when we talk about racial inequality and racism or segregation or anything like that. And so it's fitting that we start out today focused on who we need to focus on, and that's on Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would be in today's lesson as we learn from you that we look at things in our past, maybe not us personally, but things in uh, our, just our nation and things even within the churches that have been complicit and have actually uh, spoke for and not against this evil of shadow slavery, of property-driven slavery. So, Lord, I just right now, I ask like many of the prophets of old that you forgive us, even things that we don't understand that maybe are underlining in our own natures that sometimes are prejudice. And, Lord, forgive our nation how we have turned so quickly from you throughout our history and have allowed some of this. And then even after freedom, still continue to make laws and regulations to ensure the internal poverty of the black culture. So God, may this not be a lesson of guilt but a lesson of learning that causes us to be different because we want to be different and countercultural. That's the whole lesson of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Mike and Penny. So this morning, I, I want to share with you a few things. We're going to read the passage, but uh, we are talking about... Um, slavery in our nation. And, and there are some great books that I, I want to just show you of things that I've read that have been very helpful to me. Um, number one, nothing helps more than actually knowing somebody of a different race and culture than you and sitting down, having dinner, having them at your house and bringing them into your lifetime, um, bringing them into your family. And, and so, you know, there's books like Jesus and the disinherited. It starts straight with the story of Jesus and how he reached out to those that were disinherited in the culture. 
Um, and, and it's very ironic, by the way, as I, I'm talking about this and I watch how our views have gone up and then they slowly have just trickled down. This is not a conversation that people like to listen to. Um, and I, I hate that. I really do. Um, another one is the color of compromise, and it talks about ways that our culture as well as our churches have been a part of it. And then another one is called how to be anti-racist. And really what this does is it, it says that anything that we have like as a prejudice can be considered racist. And so how do we how do we get rid of it in our lives? Because it holds us back from being who Christ wants us to be. So let's read the passage and then we're going to dig in. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Good morning, Vicki. So you see, just as we've read the passage about how the, the passage on wives has been made and misused throughout our culture to make women to be second class, to be completely second class. As our kids were beat, don't spare the rod because we mispreached verses and <clears throat> told to be seen and not heard. So this passage has often been used in our history to, to prove slavery right. They've preached this in order to subjugate people in our own culture. And so Paul was speaking to, again, reform the culture around him. First, he's speaking about marriage and polygamy. And then he's speaking about children and raising them, teaching them, correcting them properly. And now he's speaking into this concept of slavery. So there's something that we need to see between these two, the passage then and the passage now. In history, there has always been something called slavery. That was one of the number one things that people always used and even pastors used to preach this was, well, there's always been, just like Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you. Well, you're always going to have racism. You're always going to have slavery. But, but here's the deal. In the culture where Paul was talking to, this was a form of bond servant. Bond servantry was this idea of almost like an employer, not shuttle, not property. They were not property. They were human beings who had fallen on bad luck and had been sold or sold themselves into slavery to pay back their debt. This was not lifelong. It was something that they could grow out of, learn out of, or however you want to put it. They, they were not property. They were not slaves as we made them in America. You know, Paul was speaking that they were to walk unto the Lord and both sides and to do everything for the glory of God and to fear God, not man. That's the, the what he's speaking here. 
You see, what was going on was in the Roman culture, an individual who was working back, say, a 10-year, 15, 20-year debt and would work for that many years. Number one, by the way, they could own property themselves. They could own a home. They could have their family with them. These are all things that we didn't see in America, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But they, they were actually sometimes more educated than their masters, but had just fallen on hard luck. And so... Therefore, to get out of it, they were working for 10 years. Be kind of like you saying, hey, I want to I want to buy a house. But instead of having a, a job and money, you would go to that landowner and say, I want to buy your house. And so therefore, I and my wife will work for you for 10 years on your farm. That was what this type of idea was. They were contracts. It's kind of like your contract with a bank. Right. That's why. We talk about being in debt, being just about like being in slavery because you are a slave to the lender. It's scriptural, right? So Paul was talking into the culture and Roman slaves were known. It was, it was known of a laziness. When the master was around, they worked hard. But when the, the house owner wasn't there and went away, and often they went away for long periods of time, um, go back to the, uh, the parable Jesus shared about the vineyard owner. And he left it in care of these individuals. And yet, you know, they didn't want to report. They didn't want to give in. And they, they kind of took over. The Roman slaves would work well when being watched, these bond servants, but then not. They would stop. And, and Paul was saying, no, 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 no. You always work above, above and beyond. I mean, it works for employees just like it does in this con concept. But then it was also that masters were to treat them the same and treat them with dignity. Because again, the bond servants of those days were human beings. Some of them were captured in war and they were subjugated for a number of years to then get them to assimilate into the Roman culture. That was one of the way the Romans would do things. But here's the thing that Paul was talking. We can't trade off humanity for productivity. It's what we did in American culture at times. Good morning, Steve, was we traded off productivity and didn't care about the humanity because of the productivity. That was what led to the slavery in, in the South and led to the Civil War was they didn't want to give up their slaves because the productivity was more important. You know, there were more laws in the South after Civil War to ensure subjugation than there were before. In Paul's day, slavery was not because of race or religion, as we found in our culture. It was fate and chance. So there were differences. In Paul's day, slaves were educated, as I said. Good morning, Jason. They were educated. They had good living conditions. They could be free. They could become citizens, Roman citizens, after they paid their debt, so they five, 10, 50, you know, the, the period of time. It wasn't a lifelong. They weren't considered property. They were not shuttle. And yet we come to America, and in our original constitution, there was a compromise made with the southern states who were threatening to not join in with the U.S. or, you know, what was going to be the United States and to, to sign our Constitution. And it was a compromise for Georgia and South Carolina. And it was called the Three-Fifths 
compromise. You see, Georgia and South Carolina did not want any slaves, any African-Americans, blacks to be considered human. And so they got the three-fifths compromise written into the Constitution that they were only counted as three-fifths a human. Their reasoning was, and many preachers actually, and I could show you pastors who preached this in the South, they were uneducated heathens. In fact, one of the largest debates in the Virginia Assembly of the Baptist Church in the 1700s was could a black individual really truly be saved and become a Christian? Because they're heathens after all. What happened to go into all the world and make disciples? They lost it. Owners abused sexually. It was nothing. A female slave was nothing but a sex toy and often, often had children for the masters. They were abused physically, emotionally, prostituted out. And, and often when we look at it now and we say, well, you know, there's more blacks killing blacks than, you know, but let me share, share a little bit why. Even during the days of slavery, slaves were rewarded, sometimes even rewarded with not always freedom, but close to it, for turning in other slaves who were maybe talking bad about the master or were threatening to leave or insurrect or any of that. And then those slaves were brutally murdered in front of all the others to make a point and the snitch was rewarded. In fact, some of the largest and uh, more successful slave, uh, uh, runaway slave hunters were freed blacks because they wanted to be counted as part of the powerful part of culture. We made that. And yet this passage has been used so often to say, oh, it was okay in America. So let me go back a little bit. In the 1600s, we saw what was called the slave codes, and they were considered slaves lifelong slavery. They had absolutely no rights. They were called property and actually put on the same level as livestock. They could be sold they said they were considered hereditary heathens, unable to be saved. Some said that maybe they could be saved, but they absolutely couldn't have freedom in this world. And that was preached in our churches, maybe not in the Nazarenes. We didn't come around to the 1900s. And yes, our history has a part in the, the Underground Railroad. We'll get to that. But in many churches in America, they preached a message that saw no contradiction between brutality of bondage, forced labor, beatings, and rape. And they saw no contradiction between that and the good news of salvation that they were preaching. Again, in the Constitution, we 
continued to agree with, make amends with, had the anti-slavery clause that was actually in the original constitution that the North wanted, but the Southern states were so strong that they removed it. Slavery could have been removed long before the constitution even, but the Virginia General Assembly made rules and made slave codes. They had an opportunity to say, no, this is wrong. And yet we didn't stand up. Church of the 1700s started to say that a, the slavery issue was a civil issue. It was a political issue and it wasn't a church issue. And, and can I tell you that's still alive and well today. There were many churches during the civil rights movement who said, ah, this is a political thing, not a church thing, and we won't speak into it. And I've heard pastors even right now who have said, this is a political thing and I won't speak into it. And, and I, can, I can tell you too, I've received personally a lot of flack because of the comments and the things that I have said that are biblical-based strong Christian believers behind it that are saying this is this is wrong. We have systems in place that are broken and need to be fixed. We have wonderful officers. I can be 100% pro my first responders and yet still look at the underground systematic racism in our culture and say that's not right either. You know, prophets sometimes spoke up and what's funny in the Old Testament is a lot of the prophets were killed. And I feel at times like this is a prophetic message that we in the church don't even want to hear and we want to put our head in the sand on. Be careful. We don't want to be a church that is complicit in our silence. We are called to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You know, in, the, in America, we had the very first non-segregated Methodist church. Let's go into our history. Non-segregated Methodist church, 1792 was founded. Um, it was uh, outside of, uh, it was in PA. I think it was outside of Philly, Philly or Pittsburgh. I believe Philly though. And, and um, they actually went so far that they hired a African-American or a black pastor. They had this guy, Richard Allen was, a, uh, was their first black minister, and, and it was amazing, the segregation, but because of the war of their deacons, and by the way, because remember Methodist preachers, they would preach once and then be gone for two or three weeks because they're preaching at other churches and they would come back, kind of like what we see right now in the Catholic church because of a lack of priests. They have one priest over five churches, and and so Richard Allen had been in this church. He's preached. He's been preaching there for years, and he comes back, and unbeknownst to him they had segregated and he was praying at the altar but did not know that that was on the white side and was yanked off of his knees in prayer and that was the moment of the birth of the african methodist episcopal church because they were no longer seen to be good enough to worship that's our history as a Wesleyan Nazarene holiness background. We were a part of the movement to free slaves. 
but the Constitution, even in the original Constitution, Article 4, Section 2, had what was called the Fugitive Slave Clause, and that became very well known when it was added to and reminded during the Civil War days that any runaway slave that would come to the North, a free state, could be sent back. They had to be sent back, or you were complicit in that. And that was even during Lincoln's times, because he was trying to appease the South and not have a civil war. 1787, George and South Carolina again demanded the Dirty Compromise. That's what it was called, the Dirty Compromise, that no discussion of slavery could be had, that they would sign, that they would sign the Constitution, but in order to sign it, they could not bring up any new legislation to outlaw or regulate slavery for 20 years. Over 600,000 interstate slave sales took place during that time. 25% of the time they broke up first marriages. Over 50% of the time they took kids away from their parents and that was okay. It was okay because they were seen as property and animals. And then comes Civil War days, the Methodist Church, our church, we split, our background, I should say, split over this, became the Methodist Episcopal Church in the North and the Methodist Episcopal Church South in the South. The Presbyterian split, PCUSA was the Northern side, the PCUS was the Southern side. The Baptist Church split, and the largest denomination we have in America today was the Southern slave-owning Southern Baptist Church. And they weren't splitting just over, was slavery okay? They were splitting because slavery had reached the ranks of the church. The Methodist Church, it was because you had bishops. You had those in charge of more than, not just a pastor, a bishop like a district superintendent and some, you know, somebody that was over 20, 30, 40, 50 churches, they owned slaves. In the Baptist church, it was because their very missionaries owned slaves on top of pastors and bishops. It had reached all levels of our society. And then preachers began to preach that blacks were morally inferior and whites were the noble race. They went so far as saying the curse of Ham, that the curse of Ham was the reason why it was okay to have slavery because, well, you know, Jews and whites were the other two brothers and all others came and blacks especially came through Ham and was cursed and, and, um, there's no genealogical records to show that. There's no proof of that whatsoever, but that shows how sometimes when we try to make what we want to be okay, we can make it okay. This passage we just read in Ephesians 6, as well as Philemon, were often used to preach at the slaves and say, you, you need to obey. You need to obey your master. God says so. In fact, I read stories of individuals. One was in this book, 
Jesus and the disinherited with, with Howard Berman, who reading to his grandma, who had gone blind, read to her scripture, but she would not let him read any of Paul's epistles because they were so painful because of the way they had been misused. She couldn't bear it, brought back memories That the church wasn't to get involved because it was too political, and yet they did. Over and over they did. Even during this time, we took, in the early 1900s even, right, we took sides on temperance. We took sides in, in uh, um, debates on evolution. We took sides on prayer in school. We take sides on Roe versus Raid, Wade, but we say this is too political and we won't take sides on that. That Again, that's even happened here recently that I've heard pastors say that. And it's easy to say it doesn't happen in our area. And, and uh, some of you are, are watching from here, and I mean no disrespect. I sat in a group of pastors, and the couple of us that had moved into this area have seen it. And those that grew up here are, are, are tone deaf to it, if you will. And that's not a negative thing, okay? This is the dialogue that happens where we learn to see it. Across from the Baptist church in town for years flew the Confederate flag. Do you realize the Confederate flag was not the icon that it is now to mean state rights and all that stuff? It did not come about hardly at all until the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, which, by the way, was started by a pastor, the Ku Klux Klan itself has its roots in the Southern Church. At one time, over 40,000 pastors were involved in the Ku Klux Klan. Those type of things break my heart. Should never have happened. But the message of loving our neighbors we turned into the Pharisee who wants to ask, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so it's a topic today that I think we needed to speak about. We need to see the history that at times, even in our silence, we are complicit. Freedom was won, but equality was not. The civil rights movement pushed for equality, but things like vagrancy laws and so many other things still continued to segregate and to create the impoverished cities in different areas that we see that are high black areas because of systems that need help. They need help. And it begins simply with us speaking up, getting to know individuals, not just to say, hey, I have a black friend. No, <laughs> um, that's called having a token token, <laughs> you know, like a token black person on your team, you know, um, because we're called to be diverse. So we have one. No, 
No, you don't seek that out. I, I, I would, as much as I would love to have individuals of different race on our platform every single Sunday at our church, I'm not going to seek that out per se in a fact just so I can brag. I'll seek out individuals who love the Lord regardless of their color to lead worship, to pray, to preach. But you know, there's something about our culture. I've said this before, Jefferson, Ashville County was one of the last stops in the Underground Railroad. But again, because of a broken system with the fugitive laws and those type of things, this was not the last stop. They had to go to Canada. We couldn't let them stay here. We live in a culture where it was okay to fly a Confederate flag or in the midst of a individuals that are crying out, even having prayer gatherings about the inequality that has happened in our society around race. We have a gun owner rights rally on the same day because they wanted that. Nothing wrong with owning guns. It's not the point. We are called to be careful that our scriptures are not used to browbeat, even in the legalism. We created took holiness, and instead of holiness being a matter of the heart, holiness being an education and a training, we created lists of this is what it looks like to be holy and not. And we became more list-oriented than we did heart-oriented. And our call as believers is to be Christ-oriented. Christ loved all. Christ loved the disinherited. He spoke up for the poor. He spoke up for the oppressed. He spoke up in a countercultural way. And so I pray you heard the passion and the heart in that. Maybe you heard some truths that will make you want to look up. Why were over 4,000 individuals lynched in our society and no trials, or if trials happened, they were quickly acquitted of murder because, well, Emmett Till whistled supposedly at a white woman and that made it okay to brutally beat, chop off ears, shoot, and kill a 14-year-old boy. Those are the histories of our culture that we don't always speak about because they hurt. But in the silence, we're complicit. Maybe the number of 40,000 pastors and the fact that the Ku Klux Klan was started as a pseudo-Christian. They use Christian values all throughout it and think that they are the Israelite proven perfect race. The fact that it was started by a pastor should break our hearts.
how far sometimes we can go if not careful from the true message of Christ. God, I just ask that you would use those words, use those thoughts, and use this passage just to continue to challenge us. It's not an easy message. Like I said at the beginning, I can speak on uh, divorce and marriages, and I don't get hate mail. I can speak on children and abuse. But when I speak about race, when I speak about inequality, and sometimes the complicity of even our churches in that, I have people that will refuse to come to church now. I have people that send me opinions that are very anti-Christ. But that's okay. Because I'm called to be faithful. Faithful to your word and your message. So Lord, I, I just ask right now, because I, I can't bring healing to this culture. We will always probably have racist among us. But that doesn't mean that I can't do anything and everything I can to, to weed out any sort of ignorance or prejudice that might be in my heart against those who have a different story than I do. That grew up in a different way, a different culture, or a different pigment. In my conversations, when the first thing I do is say, well, you know, that guy, the, the dark-skinned one, then those are, those are things that don't need to happen. Lord, I, I ask that anything that I said out of ignorance that might even be hurtful, that you would cover it. That you would challenge it. Lord, as you always have in my life, you've brought individuals along to lovingly that I've gotten to know who have lovingly shared and spoken to me and into me. Continue to bring that, Lord, to all of us. And we give you the glory. We give you the praise. May we be the light in the change that we want to see. Light in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In the names of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Have a wonderful day.